0: You're listening to Two Smart Assets with Chris Thompson and Danny Nichols. This is your source for passive investing in real estate syndications. It's time for us to gain knowledge and take action. So let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This is the Two Smart Assets podcast. I am your host, Danny Nichols, here once again with my fantastic co-host, Chris Thompson.
1: Good evening, my friend. How are you?
0: Man, I'm doing great. You know, today we had a great conversation. Can't wait to share it with our listeners. Tell them what we're talking about this week.
1: Okay, I'm glad you asked. Uh, today, we had a great conversation with Todd Sulzinger of Blue Elm Investments. Uh, we kind of really talked about uh, Todd's transition from you know the corporate finance world into investing and more specifically, in investing in mobile home parks. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about the pros and cons, uh, about, you know, just investing in mobile home parks and really why mobile home parks should be on every investor's radar for their portfolio.
0: Absolutely. ton of great stuff uh, that Todd provided. Can't wait to share it. But first, just want to give a shout out to all our listeners. We really appreciate you tuning in. And if you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and written review. It really helps us grow the podcast, attract more guests, and ultimately provide better information for everyone listening. And if you're a passive investor or looking to get into passive investing, then head over to our website at twosmartassets.com. There, you can grab our guide for passive investing in apartment syndications. This is just a great introduction into the world of passive investing in apartment syndications. So make sure to check that out. Also, grab our apartment syndication sample deal. This is going to help you get comfortable with looking at this type of investment. So when the real opportunities come your way, you'll be ready. If you have any questions about what's in either of these resources, drop us a line anytime on our website's contact us page, or you can message us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. we we'll post some great content on there, so make sure to follow us and start connecting. Well, now that we got that out of the way, let's transition into the show. Hey everybody, today's guest is Todd Solzinger. Todd is a former corporate finance executive turned mobile home park investor and the founder of Blue Elm Investments, a California-based mobile home park operator specializing in adding value to and transforming distressed mobile home parks across the US. Blue Elm has built the expertise to turn neglected mobile home parks into vibrant communities, increasing the availability of safe, clean, and affordable housing to the residents while offering their investors above market returns. Todd is a firm believer that investing in real tangible assets like real estate is the most effective way to build long-term wealth. Todd, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show.
2: Oh, Daniel, Chris, thanks so much for having me. We're excited.
0: Yeah, we're very excited, especially to talk about, uh, you know, today's topic, mobile home park investing. This is something, uh, you know, we've we've touched on briefly in our podcast, but definitely not enough. So uh, we're here to learn quite a bit. So I'm um, very excited for today. But that being said, let's just kind of dive into it. So, you know, we talked, Touched briefly in your bio about, you know, your background, but you worked as a corporate finance executive and then transitioned into real estate. So we know that a lot of people, you know, they work a professional job and they are transitioning to real estate. I mean, that happened to, to myself, it happened to Chris, but talk to us about why you decided to make that change and how that transition occurred.
2: Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, well, I had a you know, great long career in finance, um, working for companies primarily in Silicon Valley. I spent a couple of years living in Europe helping get some of the finance organizations set up for a company I was working for back then. But I, you know, after you know, there was a time uh, where I got tired of like another budget season, another close cycle, another audit, and you know, didn't really have much passion about what I was doing. And we had been trying to figure out if there was some other way, some tr- uh, career to transition into. The hard part is the longer you do a job, the better you get at it, the more promotions you get, the more money you make, it makes it more difficult to Uh, to pivot into something else. So I looked into franchises, I started to look into real estate and other businesses potentially to open. And uh, I ended up buying my first uh, single family homes in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area in 2013. After I started reading about real estate listening to podcasts and going to meetups, I thought, okay, I'm gonna kind of get that start and build up that passive income by buying single family homes and, you know, pretty quickly began to realize that it was going to take a lot of those to ever get to the point where I could, uh, you know, transition away from my job and have that passive income. Um, But also during that time, I had met uh, one of my neighbors, actually, one of the the first houses I lived in was a a real kind of quiet, mild-mannered guy. And the more we got talking over the time, I was living a couple doors down from him. He would always talk about the, the real estate he owned. Oh, I got a rental down the street. Oh, I got to go visit my, see my strip mall. Oh, I got this apartment, you know, 20, 30 miles away. And just, I kind of realized like this is kind of really you know, kind of down to earth, uh, you know, guy living in a, you know, real regular middle-class neighborhood was like this millionaire next door type who just had over his lifetime acquired a lot of real estate. So that was another inspiration for me to try to figure out a way to, uh, see if i could uh, you know make a career out of real estate i didn't want to be a real estate agent so um, uh, through the real estate guys uh, i started attending some of their local meetups and joined their their mentoring group and uh, attended a lot of their syndication seminars and met a lot of other people that were uh, figuring out a way to build a business around raising money. Uh, from investors putting deals together, and I thought that I could use my finance background as something that would be that would you know help quite a bit in terms of analyzing deals, and thought it was just a good way to marry my passion for real estate with my uh, my finance background uh, to try to make a transition to a new career. Awesome.
0: Yeah. That 's fantastic, and uh, I think that uh, it speaks volumes to you know you have this a corporate finance background, and you know you 're familiar with numbers and you 're familiar with you know structuring the things so that 's got to be a real benefit. We know uh, uh, our background is engineering, so just having that background with numbers has been uh, been a huge benefit moving forward so
2: yes, I know it does uh, it, it, it catch me off guard sometimes when, when people say, "Oh gosh, spreadsheets those are the worst <laughs> uh, uh, they 're so hard and I think wow, i've been probably I I've probably opened Excel. You know, almost every working day for the past twenty plus years, so <laughs> it's not a big deal.
0: That, that you know, that's that's so true. For I, I don't even know how long now. Is if if you're not opening up Excel spreadsheet at least once a day, something right? Some you must not have a computer in front of you because right, a, right, right. Yeah, that's uh, that's how that goes. But we yeah, we totally uh, are familiar with that. The one thing also I want to touch on real quick is uh, you mentioned going to uh, some of the real estate guys' uh, sh- uh, seminars, mm-hmm. the syndication secrets of successful syndication right. seminar. Mm-hmm we actually attended that i think it was in 2018 i think man and okay. it was fantastic i mean we really that was at the very beginning of us getting into syndication and stuff like that but we really enjoyed that uh, that seminar. We uh, It
2: was good. And it took me a couple times. I actually went to my first seminar, uh, 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 syndication seminar with them in 2015. This is after having st- started listening to their podcast in 2010 and going to their local meetup groups because they, Robert and Russ, actually used to live uh, here in the Bay Area. So they had local groups kind of before they were as big as they are now. Um, and it was actually through that connection that I bought my first houses in Texas. But anyway, I went to that first syndication seminar in 2015, all gung-ho, this is what I wanna do. And then, you know, life gets in the way, things get busy. And then I, I went again back in 2018, myself, uh, kind of wonder we, if we may have been at the same- seminar, have, yeah. Um, and then it was from there, I thought, you know, I'm not gonna go to like another one of these seminars and say, oh, I you know woulda, coulda, shoulda. So I really decided at that point in time to, you know, double down and get more serious about it. And it was around that time that I, went to my employer at the time and told him I needed to cut back to four days a week that I was just, I was trying to do real estate on the side, you know, working full time for a startup company. And it was, you know, I found it to be really impossible to do. So, um, I was able to come to an agreement with uh, the company I was working for to, uh, cut back to four days a week to at least have one day a week, which what still wasn't enough, but at least one day a week where I could focus on either looking at deals or talking to investors. So that was kind of the beginning of my, my transition that
1: one day a week is a lot better than a a few hours every single night. You know, at least you have some kind of relief. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's good stuff. We actually ended up at a couple of those seminars and I think even at our first one, it was like, I I didn't even really know how to approach the seminar. Like we just kind of went in, kind of sat near the back and near the edge and we're just kind of laying low and just taking it all in and just like you said, you know, drinking from a fire hose. Right. And, uh, you know, since then, you know, we go to all kinds of, uh, like RIA meetups and we've been to those, a uh, couple seminars, uh, just like that, uh, since, but now we have a total agenda, like walking in there, like, all right, start shaking hands. Let's start meeting people. Like we didn't even yes. know. <laughs> and it's like, you know what, we're not going to, we, we kind of sat that first one out, but I mean, what are you going to do when you don't have any really point of reference? But, uh, yeah, ever since then, like, take in as much as you can and we leave with a lot of actionable information and a lot of contact. So we we love those meetups actually, which kind of hurts us now when, uh, you know, in the last six months, you know, everything's been a little longer now, I guess, but everything's been practically
2: shut down. So it's, it's hard. I mean, doing, you know, doing the Zoom conferences and that kind of communication is great. Not having to travel and that, but I really do miss that individual face-to-face contact to have those side conversations and things. That's, uh, that would be something that will be nice to get back to.
0: Absolutely. I am very excited for that. I can't wait for that to happen. Uh, that's yeah. going to be a good day. Um, Todd, so let's, I want to talk about, before we dive into mobile home park investing, which is, you know, the, the core of the show today, um, you know, during your transition from, you know, being a, a professional to into real estate investing, it sounds like you did, uh, you know, some long distance investing, some active investing. Did you ever dabble into the passive
2: investing uh, before jumping into, uh, you know, being an active syndicator? I did. I I did invest in in a syndication with that idea of, okay, before I do my own I want to invest in another one and just kind of uh, you know feel out the process see what it's like find out what the investor communications are like so yeah so I, I did that first and it, it was um you know taught me some you know some good lessons probably more on what not to do because uh, the, the the group that put the the syndication together has not been the best from a communication standpoint especially as certain parts of the deal kind of went went sideways so um, that so that was why I guess one really important lesson I learned from it is the importance of good good consistent communication to your investors uh, and not just when the news is good, but also trying to uh, you know reach out to them if things aren't going uh, as you planned.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Communication is huge, especially in the syndication game. You know, if you're raising capital, you're dealing with investors, that's got to be on both ends, right? Whether you're active or passive. So I think communication is huge. And actually, I think we're going to touch on that a little bit more later, but um, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. That's kind of where we started to, you know, uh, just to kind of dip our toes in the passive investing side, just to, you know, kind of see if you mm-hmm. know, what would happen, learn some things and um, see how that happened. We, we still, you know, enjoy passive investing. Obviously, we're still uh, doing that. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah, it's a yeah. good... A good start for sure. So during this transition, um, you know, process, you've did some past investing, you've done some active investing, you decided, you know, you want to come in and make this transition into syndication. Why did you focus on mobile home parks instead of some other real estate asset type?
2: Uh, well, it kind of, you know, it, after, you know, a couple of years of, you know, research into markets and different asset classes, I had landed on mobile home parks. And, you know, there were a couple of th- things I really liked about it. One was it, it's recession resistant asset. Uh, there's a, a huge need for affordable housing in the U.S., and there's very little being built. You know, there's rarely any new mobile home parks that are built in a in a, uh, in a year. You know, maybe there's uh, you know a handful, just because the zoning typically doesn't allow for those to be built. So you know, there's a uh, you know limited new development, uh, and if anything, there's less mobile home parks across the country because they often get redeveloped for better use, or maybe just end up closing down due to uh, due to neglect. So I like that aspect of it. Um, also it was a little bit, um, I, I, didn't want to be another apartment syndicator and as I got, you know, kind of more and more familiar with the world and, and, of syndication and talking to a lot of players. It was like, there were a lot of people doing that. So I wanted something to differentiate myself somewhat. Um, and then also it's, it's an interesting business cause there's, it's still, uh, it's a niche market and there's still a lot of. Kind of like unprofessional managers. They call them like mom and pops that are, you know, may have owned the parks for 20, 30 years. They may have lived there and just haven't uh, kept up with rent uh, increases. Haven't um, kind of run it as professionally as they uh, as it could be, which is something you don't often find in a apartment complex. Um, like oftentimes in a mobile home park, you might find a park that's 50% occupied because maybe the trailers were torn down or somebody moved their trailer out of the park. Um, But it'd be rare that you'd see an apartment building that was uh, like a 100 unit apartment building that might only be 50% occupied because usually those are just run more professionally and are filled in. Uh, But in the mobile home park business, you oftentimes find really good deals with parks that are just not run as professionally as they could be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a lot of great stuff there and we, I think we can agree that uh, uh, all those reasons are great reasons to, you know, be in uh, mobile home parks as, as an investor. But, you know, over the past number of years, we've seen mobile home park investing uh, gain some momentum, right? It's mm-hmm. still, it still might not be as popular as say, um, you know, apartments or maybe some others uh, in terms of syndication, but we're seeing, we're seeing to get some steam uh, coming mm-hmm. up uh, and we've talked to a number of investors and they might kind of shy away from the mobile home park investing. And in terms of maybe a, a passive investor's mindset and in their view, what would you tell a potential past investor basically like, the benefits of you know kind of this beyond you know recession resistance stuff like that, but why should maybe they consider putting this in their portfolio? You know, if they're interested in diversification and stuff like that,
2: right? Uh, yeah, good question. I think, uh, I guess part of the first part of that is the diversifying into real estate via a syndication. You know, a lot of the people that I, uh, you know, worked with, talked to, meet up locally, there have that mindset about investing is all, uh, you know, just mutual funds and and the stock market and, you know, real estate in their head is oftentimes just, wow, you know, like a single family home in a neighborhood that I live in, for example. Um, so that's kind of the first, uh, I guess, maybe mental hurdle for some people is to go, okay, like investing in real estate where I don't have to do anything. And that is its own education process. Um, and then the next part, which is again, is it's 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 good to be in a niche, I, I like it, but that's uh, an additional part of the education process because people don't, um, at least in California, don't see mobile home parks very often. There's, you know, a, a handful scattered throughout the, you know, 20, 30 mile radius from where I live. But, you know, oftentimes they're tucked away in neighborhoods. They might be along a freeway behind a sound wall. So you don't really see them that much. Uh, there's other states, that are particularly in the Southeast where mobile home parks or mobile homes and mobile home parks are just a lot more common. So people see them. So uh, So to, to try to educate people about like what mobile home parks are, how they work, um, and they're a little bit different in that um, In a mobile home park, you can either rent the lot to somebody where they own their home themselves or you can actually own the home. The park can own the home and you can rent it out similar to renting out a single family house or an apartment. So, um, so part of it is just that education process of kind of explaining like how these businesses work and how they can, uh, how they can make good money. Um, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I, I was actually curious. Like, do you find it uh, to be any kind of challenge at all? I guess like, because <clears throat> uh, coming from uh, just a, a point of ignorance, you know, I, I, completely don't know very much about mobile home parks at all, but I do understand like they come with some kind of stigma, right? And yes. is there, is there anything like that, that, uh, that you, that you find like investors might put up some kind of barrier there where
2: it might, I don't know. How do you get yeah, absolutely. That? I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I have not seen the show, but there's a reality TV show. I'm not sure what's called like trailer trash or something. Trailer. <laughs> something derogatory about mobile home parks. So people either have that in their mind or they have an image of, uh, uh, you know, a mobile home being swept up in a tornado that goes through Oklahoma. So... (laughs) which actually in reality doesn't happen that often, hurricanes are usually a bigger threat than tornadoes, but um, they make for dramatic images on TV. Um, So it seems like for most of the investors I talk to, it's more a case of whether they want to or whether they feel comfortable investing in affordable housing. So whether it would be a mobile home park or a C-class apartment, Versus feeling like they'd want to invest in an A-class apartment or a nicer commercial building. I think if they're kind of sure. open to uh, investing in the affordable housing space, then mobile home parks make sense to them. That makes sense.
0: Absolutely. So, so in terms of, you know, being a syndicator and, you know, getting, you know, investing, you know, having passive investors, investing in your deals, you just talked about, you know, a big challenge that typically you might face, a uh, common challenge. Are there any other common challenges you face from your past investors? Kind of like questions, you know, like, hey, you know, I have this concern that, that you see from past investors. Is there anything particular that you can think of?
2: Um, uh, so, you know, some of it is around questions like hurricanes, like I, my last uh, deal was in Tennessee and they would say like, are there hurricanes in Tennessee? So I had to show them a map and say, okay, well, this part of Tennessee is not where Hurricane Alley is. And they're like, okay, all right, I get that. And, and do you have insurance? And is there loss of business insurance? So, um, yeah, so the, those, those kind of uh, questions come up. Um, and then j- just them, uh, I, I guess, and maybe it's because I've only syndicated mobile home parks, I don't know if there would be a difference, but um, I would say, so I would imagine it might be some of the similar questions they might have about, you know, what's the market like? You know, why is the occupancy what it is? Does the local economy, is it going to support, you know, filling in the park over time? And is, are you going to be able to meet your projections from that perspective? Yeah, those
0: are, I think those are, those are real concerns, you know, and mm-hmm. being able to, to have those answers and, you know, being able to specify why you invested in, you know, mobile home parks and even that market is is uh, going to be
2: very important. So, yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's I, I put that kind of as part of my business plan, at least a few pages just to explain the mobile home park business. I've got some slides that show like in Georgia, 16% of the people live in mobile homes and Florida, it's 14%. And just to kind of get people's head around, wow, okay, there's, you know, 40 plus thousand parks across the country. And then sometimes after those conversations, I'll talk to a few weeks later and they'll be like, oh my gosh, there was one, like two miles from my house. And I like never did think about it before, but it's really nice. And that guy's probably making like, great money on that, on that park. So, um, so some of it, like a lot of things, you know, uh, discuss something with somebody and then all of a sudden they start to see it around them.
0: It's funny how that happens, right? I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I know that's, that's happened to me too, a couple of times, so yeah. for sure. <laughs> But we know your company Blue Elm Investments focuses on creating affordable housing communities across America, right? So, uh, when you're in terms of, you know, the kind of, you know, landing deals and what is your buying criteria when you're looking at potential opportunities? You know, what's the what
2: kind of parks are you looking for? Uh, well when I one of the things that um, was the kind of thing that really flipped me into deciding hey I'm really gonna double down and go into mobile home parks was a relationship I built with a mobile home park consulting company uh, based out of the Central Valley here in California that actually a couple months ago I started working for as well as a mobile home park consultant oh, nice. and uh, they have they run about, I don't know, 80, 85 parks across the country. And they. I hired them when I was buying my first parks to help with uh, site visit, due diligence, negotiation, and kind of come up with a uh, turnaround plan. So they've got a ton of experience in this business. Um, and that was kind of the thing that made me decide okay, I really want to, uh, uh, that I can, you know, take my real estate and finance experience, but leverage their. Mobile home park experience, park experience to to build syndications. So in terms of kind of the, I was initially looking in markets where they already uh, had a presence where I could leverage the uh, rehab crews they have, maybe some uh, on-site management. So they manage parks in about uh, 15, 16 states across the country. So I was looking in states that were uh, landlord friendly. So I was and uh, so I was staying away from things like uh, California, Washington, Oregon, and New York. Uh, so partly. Because the uh, landlord tenant laws, also because the pricing is a lot higher in those markets. So I was looking, I've kind of narrowed my search down to uh, states like Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio, Illinois, uh, Mississippi, Indiana. Uh, Florida, and um, and then just started started diving in, looking for um, looking for deals. I didn't for my first syndication. I didn't want to do anything uh, too big in terms of uh, being able to make sure I could close on the deal and, and raise enough money. So I was kind of looking in the fifty to hundred pad uh, park space and the kind of you know eight hundred to a million and a half dollar price range, and started. Uh, uh, starting, uh, making phone calls to brokers, building those relationships, looking at loop net, uh, looking for off market deals and, um, yeah, I literally looked at hundreds of deals, trying to put them into kind of a simple financial model to see if the deal might make sense. And then once I thought it looked like it, um, yeah, might have potential to be a good deal, kind of do the, do the next level down. And then through that process, uh, I found two parks in Georgia that I actually bought through a broker. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. That's a uh, that's uh, quite a uh, those markets.
0: I think there's a lot to speak about those markets too. Just in general, you know the kind of the markets you touch on. And I've looked at your your website, and seen your portfolio. You know, Tennessee, kind of Georgia, hitting uh, and those markets. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. But as it, for you know, in terms of uh, being a passive investor, so you're offering these deals as a syndication, you're syndicating these deals. In terms of uh, investors, what are are you? How are you offering these? Are you offering these? Uh, you know, to a credit investors? Both accredited and
2: non-accredited, what's your what's your process for that? Yeah, so for both of both of the the two syndications I've done, I've done a 506b to offer to accredited and non-accredited, non-accredited investors, and uh, you know a couple of reasons. I, I wanted to uh, as my first deal, I wanted to be able to offer it to as many people as I could, um, and the uh, um, you know with that accredited standard, you know I was working with uh, a lot of people that I don't know maybe they make 150 or 180 thousand a year and have a net worth of. Seven or eight hundred thousand. So they've, they've got decent jobs, they're smart people, they built up some net worth, but they just didn't meet that accreditation standard. Um, so when I was initially talking to, to uh, people about the business I was starting and uh, investments I was trying to put together, I knew that there were definitely people that wanted to work with me that wouldn't meet that accredited standard. So, um, and because I knew I wasn't going to uh, hit the threshold with the maximum of 35 non-accredited mm-hmm. investors in a 506B, uh, you know, I felt comfortable that I could do that and not not bump up against that limit. That's a good yeah, point uh, yeah i think that's yeah.
0: great and I, I and i'm sure you've noticed but uh, recently the you know like sec came out with some of the the changes to the definition of the accredited investor so we're very eager to see what uh, what that looks like going forward
2: yeah yeah me too and it's funny i, I talked to somebody else who actually is a pretty decent size Syndicator, and he still does 506b because uh, even if he's raising five or six million dollars, he still hasn't bumped up to that 35 um, investor limit. And he's he actually finds that people the fact that they actually have to certify officially versus the you know 506b do a self certification, 506c you actually have to have a CPA or a or a company like a Verify Investor. Really officially verify, and he said, when people have a sometimes have a choice between doing accredited and non-accredited, they'll choose the non-accredited deal just because they don't have to either go through the hassle of going through all that paperwork and dealing with their CPA and trying to get this, or they're really not accredited. They <laughs> might certify that they are, you know, or they, they might say, oh yeah, I'm accredited. Oh yeah, okay, can you uh, you know fill out this you know, go to the verify investor and get it get it done. Um, turns out they're not, and they just kind of go silent. So, um, and then I also had another friend of mine who um, is accredited, but um, it wasn't just as simple as a pay stub or, a, you know, a bank account or something. He had some land, he had some other investments that were mm-hmm. hard to um, uh, hard to kind of figure out what the value was. And his CPA really gave him a hard time. Like, I, you know, he said, I can't certify these for you because these aren't uh, like tangible things, uh, as tangible as saying like, you know, here's my bank statement or my bro- brokerage statement that proves my, my net worth is this. So, um, so at least for now, I, I think the 506 B is, uh, is a little bit simpler, you know, knowing that I have the challenge of not being able to, uh, you know, broadcast it everywhere and having to build relationships with investors before they're allowed to come into the deals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Very I good.
2: think that's, that's a, go ahead.
0: Please. I was gonna say that's a, it's, it's great that you're, uh, you know, allowing passive investors, uh, to come into your deals, I think that's important. We've been, you know, we've talked to a, lo- a number of people. Uh, our background is in oil and gas, and you know, we have a, a lot of people who do meet the accredited investor uh, qualifications or the requirements, I should say. Uh, but then there's that there's that group that are just under, you know, it, they're not quite there. They don't meet the income or the net level yeah. requirements, and it's like, man, you know, because you talk to them and you know they want to invest, and uh, you see a lot of these deals being five hundred six C deals, and like you just can't can't do it you know you can't be
2: a part of it so i think it is yeah it's good or you might have a situation where somebody's kind of on the border and i don't know stock market goes down five percent oh, over a couple weeks man. for whatever reason and all of a sudden wow i'm not accredited now which again is <sighs> it's kind of silly when you just have that kind of uh, artificial threshold in terms of what makes somebody sophisticated or smart enough to invest but hopefully the new rules will will make it easier
1: Yeah, I think it's. I think the whole point is basically to broaden who can encompass that. I mean, because even that two hundred thousand dollar threshold, you know, that's eroding away with inflation as it goes. Right, right. The fact that
2: that's never changed (laughs) is right. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Excellent. So yeah,
0: um, we 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 like that you're offering. uh, You know, the five hundred six B. Do you plan on doing a moving forward? You could plan on doing the five hundred six B still, or you kind of transition the five hundred six C or.
2: You know, uh, it, it, probably, it would probably depend on, on the next deal I put together. I, I don't have an active deal happening right now, and, I, and in a future deal, I might. There's a couple people I might partner with. So, um, so depending on the size of the deal, um, that's kind of where the five hundred six C is nice because again, you can talk about it more openly with people that you that you haven't met and. Um, So that there may be some benefit to doing that. Um, You know, if we, if if I was able to put another one together as a 506b, again, I think that's a nice thing to be able to let people who were, again, who just don't or are sophisticated, who wanted to diversify, but uh, again, just don't meet that threshold.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so Todd, we kind of want to we kind of want to dive into the the you know we've been talking a little bit about, about the passive side, you know, passive investors, and we kind of transitioned a little bit to the active side. But we kind of want to dive in uh, a little bit more into that and hear a little bit more about your story about active and uh, you know being on the active side because you know we are passive investors, but we're also looking to get into the active side as well. Kind mm-hmm. of uh, you know more into that and you know uh, having our having our limited knowledge of um, uh, mobile home parks, I think is, is one aspect. So we're definitely trying to learn more, but um, tell us a little bit more about some of the challenges you face, you know, coming from corporate America and becoming an active syndicator. You know, what are those, some of those challenges you found in, you know, building your syndication business? Hey everybody, you know, Todd provided so much valuable information today that we decided to split this episode into two parts. So make sure to tune in next week for part two with Todd from Blue Elm Investments. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show, and while you're there, we'd really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.